Greetings, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the weekly Mormon News Roundup, where Al and D-Bays will ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. Today is July 30th, 2023. Uh, this episode 70 coming at you. We're going to talk about the Barbie movie and Mormonism. And the LDS Church has sued its own insurer, and Mitch McConnell has channeled Lorenzo Snow. You're not going to want to miss a moment of this. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at mormonnewsroundup.org. You can send us an email to kolob at mormonnewsroundup.org. I'd like to welcome onto the program longtime co-host Al. Al, how's it going? Oh, it's so good to be back. I, I have missed our uh, listeners and our viewers uh, and I, I just enjoy going over the Mormon news. It's great. Uh, how are wow. you doing, DBs? Hey, I'm doing better than I deserve, that's for sure. Now, if you want to send us a voicemail, you can come on over to Spotify, and we'd be happy to play that on our next episode. And uh, Or you can support this uh, podcast by going on to Patreon and making a donation. That does bring us to our very first, uh, our very first uh, joke of the week. Uh, of course, Al, we always have a joke of the week, right? Yes, we do, and it's always pertaining to Mormonism. Yeah, so, um, you know, Mitch McConnell, uh, he had a medical uh, scare here this last week. Uh, yeah. uh, we definitely wish him the very best. But somebody pointed out, Al, that he actually channeled Lorenzo Snow from the, win <laughs> from the oh, Windows of did. Heaven movie. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, I, the, uh, I do. I do. I, I remember this. <laughs> yeah, he chatted, you know, you know, the dramatic pause. That's a well-known Mormon cinematic technique. And Al, you know a thing or two about the Windows of Heaven movie because you helped me do that Mormon movie review, remember? I do. Yeah. And uh, Lethe, there she is. Lethe Tade. She's wonderful. Um, yeah. This was, uh, yeah, so Lorenzo Snow went down to St. George to speak to the suffering people who were in the middle of a horrible drought. And in the middle of his talk, he just stopped. A lot like Mitch McConnell did this last week, just stopped. Um, I don't know that there was, you know, the thing going with his eyes. I mean, Mitch McConnell, it, it really looks like he had a stroke um, or a heart attack, some sort of issue, but... Um, uh, we haven't heard what happened with him, um, but we do wish him the best. Uh, however, unlike um, unlike Lorenzo Snow, he didn't go on to say, hey, uh, you all need to start giving 10% of your income to the United States government. So a little different than what happened with Lorenzo Snow afterwards, but hey. Yeah. But the dramatic pause is a, a well-known cinematic technique, and it seems like Mitch mm -hmm. McConnell is in good company. But in all seriousness, we certainly hope that Mitch McConnell is uh, doing well, that he's feeling well. I know he's had some health challenges, some concussions. He's had some falls. Um, yeah. And we definitely hope that he is going to recover and um, that whatever happened is um, that, that he does well. I just thought it was amusing that people were po pointing out the difference between they're both. They were both very, very old as well during yes. the dramatic pause. <laughs> yes, they were. <laughs> yeah, they were. Now, another article that came up this week here, we got a lot of news to get through here. This is from uh, Lori Daybell. Uh, Al, she's uh, back in the news here. How you can watch Lori Vallow Daybell sentencing and what we can expect at the hearing here. She is uh, scheduled to be sentenced just tomorrow on oh, July wow. 31st in the Fremont County. This is Idaho, uh, Fremont County courtroom. Of course, she was found guilty. Uh, back in May of conspiring to commit murder and first-degree murder of her children, Joshua J.J. Vallow and Tylee Ryan. And, of course, Al, we did a big uh, review of The Sins of Our Mother, um, The Sins of Our Mother complete miniseries, right? Yeah, we did. And, uh, boy, if you haven't seen it, it's very much worth the watch. Um, you don't – I don't know how many people realize that she has another son, an older son, that um, she didn't murder. Uh, and if you look, if you watch the show, you'll realize that he's one of the few people in her family that she hasn't murdered. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's so bizarre, but excellent show. You need to watch it. Yeah, Sins of Our Mother definitely is a very, very good show. And, uh, you know, Chad Daybell, he's not going to be there to be able to review. Uh, he's not going to be there to be able to watch this because his uh, sentence, his trial is coming up soon. But, uh, you know, certain people are going to be allowed to be in the court trial. Certain people are not going to be allowed to be in the court trial. Um, or certainly expecting to see, you know, the sentencing portion you have, you know, dramatic um, statements that are going to be given by the people who are affected by uh, Lori Vallow Daybell and by Chad Daybell. And, um, you know, it, it's a really sad situation. I, um, you, you, you know, there's going to be limited seating in the courtroom, so you can watch it. 
Um, they are going to have live seating, but it's also going to be available for streaming. You can stream it live as well. So, you know, this uh, the Doomsday Mom, she is continuing to take up oxygen. And uh, I, um, for one, I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully seeing uh, justice served. Yeah, let's let her uh, take up a little more incarcerated oxygen rather than the free oxygen we got. That sounds like an absolutely tremendous idea. Now, that does take us to our next article here, Al, which is uh, Latter-day Saints had gathered to rem remember the inspired life of Sister Patricia Holland. So uh, Elder uh, Jeffrey R. Holland's wife, uh, unfortunately, she um, lost a battle to long COVID, had a number of health issues here. And we get to see, you know, my heart certainly goes out to her family here. And uh, according to President Nelson, who uh, gave the eulogy, he was at the uh, service here, and it was at the conference center in the little theater in the conference center. He said that sis Sister Patricia Holland is exactly what a celestial woman looks like here. So um, it's a sad situation. And Elder Holland gave a tribute to his companion, um, a very touching ceremony. What do you think, Al? Absolutely. Uh, you know, Sorry to see her pass, um, and uh, I, I guess it's another reminder. These uh, the people running the show here—they're really getting up there. Uh, they, they were, these are people in their 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, I mean, we've got President Nelson himself just on the cusp of turning 100. I think next year. So I believe he's he's 98 years old. Um, yeah, he's, you know, I'm sure he's going to be planning mm -hmm. a, a a big. Uh, a big uh, birthday party, as they typically do for the mm -hmm. 100th, uh, 100th episode, uh, for his Absolutely. 100th birthday. The one thing here that strikes me, Al, as a little bit odd here, is if you take a look at the photos here, in, in prime, prime real estate location, uh -huh. you have the big red chairs here that are typically reserved for the general authorities. They, they, yeah. They're like the famous, they're in general conference. They're kind of like royalty chairs, and they have the most prominent... Yeah position at this mm -hmm. funeral directly behind the lectern mm -hmm. and you see most of the quorum of the 15 there off to the side in rather mundane or pedestrian chairs uh -huh. is the holland family uh, uh -huh. and i just find um i don't i just find that contrast to be a little bit striking it, it's a uh, very noteworthy that uh, the family is kind of uh uh what a uh, second uh chair should we say to uh, the general or to the uh, the quorum of the fifteen members. Yeah, they didn't. They yeah. didn't get the prominent position. They didn't no, they get didn't. the nice chairs. They are off, the, off side. to the side. Yeah, and I know that your mother passed away um, uh, mm -hmm. some uh, not that long ago. Uh, yeah. yeah, a few months ago, back in March. Mm -hmm. How would you feel it if the bishop, the stake president, the area authority all had the golden chairs right behind your mother with the best views and, and the best situation, whereas you were kind of off to the side and, I don't know, marginalized. How, how would well, that make you feel? Well, that's pretty much how it went, Dives. I mean, well, the only difference being my brother was the bishop of reward, so he was uh, quite proud. To, in fact, uh, his Facebook is just loaded with some of the most bizarre things, like uh, the fact that he got to drive the Hearst, um, and he was so excited. They took a picture of him and my dad standing next to the hearse and he's like yep driving up to the cemetery with mom in back i thought wow that's uh that's pretty dang tacky but hey you know uh that's how it went is they had the uh the priesthood authorities uh my brother the state president sitting on the stand behind the coffin and uh my family sitting down in the pews yeah. so what what was what what you're telling me is basically this is par for the course. When it comes yeah. to LDS mm -hmm. funerals, the family is, your experience is that the family comes second. Yep, family yields to the authority. Mm -hmm. Even in a person's last moments, even in their most intimate situations, mm -hmm. you know, even in their most, you know, emotional state, it's that the, the church authority has to reign supreme. Well, exactly, because the way that the uh, general handbook of instruction has it uh, written is that... Um, it's it's nice to pay tribute or say some nice things about the departed, but really it shouldn't detract from the message of spreading the gospel and using it as a missionary opportunity. Yeah, um, I don't know. I just thought that the optics on that were a little bit off. You know, and yeah, this is, is in, this <laughs> is in contrast to. I found this really remarkable because this is mm -hmm. a, this particular funeral is in contrast to the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, now the Community of Christ. President Vesey, um, they released a, a press statement here just a couple of days ago, Al, where President Vesey, you know, he's uh, going to be stepping down. I believe it's in yeah. a year and a half from now. He's already announced his uh, transition plan here. 
the president yeah. prophet there. Um, mm -hmm. He's I believe he's 68 years old. Yeah. President BC a few days ago, he was hospitalized after a medical emergency. He's working with his doctors to assess the situation. Please keep him in your prayers. More information will be posted when it is available. And per policies and procedures, President Scott Murphy and President uh, Stacy Cram will oversee um, will oversee the church in BC's absence. Um, how, how do you feel about this particular statement here, Al? Um, this uh, harkens back to the the, the early 1980s when uh, President Kimball and Marion G. Romney were uh, in very poor health. I believe it was Marion G. Romney. And uh, the second counselor was Gordon B. Hinckley, and he uh, pretty much carried the, the church on his shoulders for a while uh, while those two were uh, incapacitated. Yeah, and the reason that I bring that up, uh, not, besides the fact that it is news noteworthy, mm -hmm. is when the community of Christ has a senior person who is experiencing some kind of a medical difficulty, we're let know uh, they, they let us know about that. But yeah. Sister Holland, we weren't really given any information about her condition until she died. Why is there a contrast between the way that the community of Christ informs its members about the health challenges of its senior leaders and their families? With the LDS version, what what can explain that? Well, there's a couple of uh, stark contrasts here. The one being, um, you could make the argument that well, uh, a person's medical conditions are their own private business and they're not for uh, public scrutiny. Um, but is that really the case when it comes to someone that's uh, taken such a public life and uh, you know chosen to go the path of being a uh, an, a very outspoken leader, um, you kind of give up certain amounts of privacy that uh, the general John Q. public would enjoy uh, during these times. So um, I, I really respect the um, the community of Christ Church for being so forthright uh, with uh, with telling people about what's going on and what their situation is with President Vesey. Yeah, they have a plan. If, if something has happened, um, we're not given all the information, and probably we shouldn't be given every little bit of information. I mean, some, someone's private medical, uh, what, what's happening to them medically privately, some of that should be kept confidential. We don't need to know every single procedure that someone's yeah. under, even if they are a public figure. But sure. you know the fact that there is uh, an issue that's happening, and then there is a plan that's in place with mm -hmm. the community of Christ that says during his absence, um, that we have a procedure in place so that the church will continue to govern. The LDS church has absolutely nothing in place. And I just found the contrast between Patricia Holland. I know she's not a church leader, but Patricia Holland's sudden death yeah. mm -hmm. and President Vesey's, um, you know, the, the inf information that we got about him. I just find that the contrast to be uh, very interesting. Well, exactly. We know that President Holland himself, or not President, uh, uh, Jeffrey Holland himself has been uh, Elder Holland. That's what, I, that's what I'm looking for. He's been uh, kind of incapacitated himself this past year, and they said that he ha it was because of COVID um, and that he was kind of taking a step back. I think he missed the April conference because of it. Right. Um, but uh, I, I'm assuming that uh, his wife and him both caught COVID around the same time, and uh, it sounds like uh, he's probably surviving this, and she did. Uh, she just didn't. Yeah. Um, that's, that's very tragic. My heart goes out to any of the Holland family, and I certainly wish uh, Elder Holland that um, he's able to get through this difficult time. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, this is kind of an odd transition here, but it is what it is. Our next article here, Al, did you watch the Barbie movie? Did you? <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I haven't watched the Barbie movie yet, um, but I have been told by several coworkers, several friends that I need to go and see this. It's an excellent movie. Um, and People are just loving it, except for, um, uh, you know, I guess uh, it's getting a lot of hate from the right wing uh, in the media. But um, besides that, this article I really enjoyed um, because something that a, a lot of LDS people enjoy doing is going over uh, which uh, celebrities um, are LDS or formerly were LDS. And uh, Ryan Gosling is one that he grew up in the LDS religion. And uh, that's what this article is about. Yeah, this was published on uh, fandomwire.com. This was published on July 22nd, 2023. And Ryan Gosling, my, quote, my parents were more Mormon than I was. A Barbie star, Ryan Gosling, was raised by a, quote, 
religious zealot, quote, and he hated his childhood. Yeah, that quote, uh, religious zealot, that's not from him. That's from his mother. His mother admitted that, yeah, uh, he was raised by a religious zealot. In fact, there it is. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, my mother um, yeah, yeah, my mother her, admits it. She says you were raised by a religious zealot. She's different now, but at the time it was part of everything. What they ate, how they thought. So this is not a legendary. There's a lot of legendary Mormon stories about people who were raised mm -hmm. LDS or who currently are LDS. This is one that's been confirmed. And yeah. basically, Ryan Gosling is having a major ex-Mormon moment. It sure is. Um, he says, yeah, I've uh, really distanced myself from the church um, ever since he was a child, really. Uh, let's see. He was the first um, Mouseketeer uh, with the Mickey Mouse Club from Canada, yeah. is what they said. So, um, you know, and he, he went to the uh, went to stardom at a fairly young age, grew up on the screen. And um, he's an excellent actor. People uh, have loved him and. Uh, I think he was a great cast for the role of Ken, so I'm excited to see it because I've seen his acting chops, and boy, he's good. Yeah, I, I def I did watch the movie. I really I really oh. enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was a, I thought it was a fun movie. Um, it, it pokes a lot of fun to the patriarchy. There's no doubt about mm -hmm. it. I thought that some people took great offense to it, but I found it all to be very tongue in cheek. So yeah, um, I, I enjoyed that kind of thing. You know his. What what happened to his childhood? It says his mother is different now. Well, what happened is there was a in his LDS when he was raised LDS, there was a domestic violence on both sides, yeah. mother to father, father to mother. He also grappled with learning difficulties and he had uh, mm -hmm. ADHD. He had uh, you know very low self esteem growing up, you know. And as you mentioned, he became a Musketeer. You know, he has the ability to sing, dance, mm -hmm. and act. The triple true triple threat. When you watch the movie, you can see yeah. he sang two songs in the movie. And mm -hmm. he used his real voice in singing them, whereas um, Barbie, she only sang one song, and my understanding is wasn't was not her voice. So, as far as an ex Mormon moment is concerned, I, I, for me, this could be the biggest ex Mormon moment of the year. Uh, something that uh, Mormons are really big into is the theater. They're big into dramatics. They're big into uh, dancing. They're big into singing. I mean, this is uh, something that. Uh, there's a lot of talent within the LDS community, and so I'm glad to see that, uh, you know, here's a little what, residual of that being on uh, on stage. Um, I'm not sure if it's the church that produces it or if it's uh, just attracting the talent, but boy, it's coming out of the LDS church. And uh, even if he's out of the church, uh, he was once in there and, um, you know, he's doing great. Yeah, uh, I definitely, uh, I highly recommend the movie. I, I found it to be very amusing, very fun, but a, a nice uh, light take on it. I don't take anything in the movie too seriously. This is, <laughs> I don't think that they're trying to preach anything. I think that they were trying to poke a lot of fun at a lot of things. And uh, I think there was a lot of laugh out loud moments in it. So uh, yeah. I think, I think you'd enjoy it. I definitely think you'd enjoy seeing it for sure. Now, Looking our next article, yeah, this next article, Al, came out of the Salt Lake Tribune here. This is unfortunate here. LDS missionaries yeah. killed in the South Pacific becomes the fifth to die this year. So this was a couple from Utah, and they were serving in Vanuatu when a head-on collision occurred. And Al, I mean, you served in the South Pacific here. Um, yeah. what, what's your reaction to this article? Well, uh, this article, it, it is tragic. Um, There's the couple there. Um, they were in a, a head-on collision when a car traveling the opposite direction of them uh, veered into their lane and had a head-on collision with them. Uh, I guess he survived, but she succumbed to her injuries. And, uh, I mean, it, it was tragic, but, uh, you know, that we, we've talked about a lot of the, uh, in fact, we're, we've got an article later on in the show that uh, we're going to talk about things that were preventable. But this one, it wasn't preventable. These things happen. Um, there's been several deaths, several of the deaths that uh, have occurred so far this year um, have been car accidents. That can happen to anyone. Um, and then there was one that was a 20-year-old kid from Leighton, or in the Leighton mission, and uh, his his accident was that he was just being a stupid kid, you know, being a what a typical young man in his 20s was would do. He's doing a stunt, jump, tried to jump over an electric scooter, and uh, fell wrong, and then succumbed to his injuries. I mean, it's tragic, but these things they also happen to anyone, and it it's not. Uh, uh, what statistically significant? I would say that uh, these that these deaths are happening. 
Yeah, so this is the fifth LDS uh, death, at least, that I've been able to track this year or based on the Salt Lake Tribune's reporting. The first was a 26-year-old yeah. missionary who um, he, he began feeling ill, and then he died a short time later. And uh, the second one was a 20-year-old missionary from Guatemala. Um, mm -hmm. She eventually ended up being diagnosed with leukemia. The third was a missionary, as you mentioned, with the electric scooter. Mm -hmm. And the fourth one was from Alaska, and he was hit by a car accident. So these are yeah. very, very tragic uh, situations and something mm -hmm. that... Um, is very very sad i i looked up i tried to look it up because the church doesn't maintain any statistics that are releasable to the public about this and it looks like on average that a missionary either a service missionary or proselytizing missionary for the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints one dies on average every single month mm -hmm. that's the statistics that i'm able to get and of course our, our hearts yeah. definitely go out to this uh to this family to um you know their children and anyone else who's involved and the missionaries out there, you know, it's important to try to do the very best as possible to try to stay safe and um, do everything that you can to, I don't know, to, to, to come home in one piece. Yep. Keep uh, keep praying for the missionaries. Yeah, definitely. And there's there's a you know, it, it's the thing about missionary that we, we got this other article here from the Daily Mail here. And this was also, yep. again, released just this week from Lillian Gisson for the Daily Mail, 24th of June, 2023. Mormon yeah. missionary who nearly died while preaching scripture in Argentina reveals how church leaders simply told her that they'd say a prayer for her when she begged them for medical help. So Kaylee, uh, Keely, I'm sorry if I'm not saying that wrong, Keely right, Peterson, Keely. Uh, 24 from Utah, developed a lump on her back during her mission. It left her in severe pain, but she says her pleas for help were ignored. And then one night she woke up with blood coming from her nose and her mouth. And this is, um, you know, uh, we've heard a lot of these type of stories, Alan. It's very disturbing. Yeah, there's uh, some pictures of Keely, a very pretty young lady. And uh, her life uh, was put in jeopardy because she had uh, leadership that just didn't seem to take her complaints uh, seriously. She went to them multiple times. Went to I mean, went, followed the proper channels, and it's not that well. She it's not that she did anything wrong herself. She did what she was told to do by the church while she was uh, in the service of the church. She started feeling ill. Um, went to she she went to the doctor and he gave her a shot in the back, and that shot turned into a lump in her back that wouldn't go away. Uh, she asked the mission president's wife, who's you know the one that you go through in order to get uh, medical assistance and she, uh, for help, and she said, "Well, just take some ibuprofen, an anti-inflammatory, to try to uh, you know get rid of the swelling." But uh, she went to doctors, she uh, and they gave her muscle relaxers, um, and she talked about a lot of the hardships of a mission that, um, I mean, you see her there eating pizza with, with somebody, but uh, she said that they were only allowed $50 per month for food. $50? Yeah. Um, and she said there were many times, like many times, where you went days without eating. That uh, is shocking. Yeah. Um, this from a church that these kids are giving their two years of their lives for 18 months to two years of their lives and the church is only giving them fifty dollars for food a month it, it doesn't go very far and uh so yeah they're and then and then beyond that they're denying her medical treatment while she's uh supposed to be in their care um I'll, I'll tell you something, Dives. I have a nephew that's uh, going to be leaving on a mission to South America next month. Mm -hmm. I'm really worried about him. I'm, I'm very concerned, especially seeing an article like this. Uh, Keely has since uh, left the church along with her family. I'm not sure what her reasons were for that. But, um, yeah, I think that uh, the church owes her a big apology for not giving her the care that she needed while she was in their service. I mean, they, they told her to just take ibuprofen and say a prayer. She apparently had a herniated disc in her back. Yeah, that's what it was. I mean, that is some serious, serious medical issues. And the allegations of not having enough food, I, I can tell you from myself, from my own mission, I definitely did not have enough money to have proper nutrition on my mm -hmm. mission without question. And it has led to a lifetime 
of my, my difficulties with uh, with uh, my relationship with food has been irrevocably uh, altered for the worse because I did not have enough money on my mission. So I can tell you that those type of anecdotal stories that there's a lot to back those up. I mean, I'll just tell you one quick story. You know, I remember in my first missionary uh, missionary area, which I served in Washington D.C., I went to the grocery store for the first time with my monthly allotment of money. I bought all of this healthy food for myself to eat, fruits and vegetables, and you know, just regular food. And I thought that that would be enough for the whole month. And all my missionary companions said, you know, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm buying food. And they go, hey, you're not going to have enough for the whole month because I spent my whole allotment for the month. And they said, you, you need to be buying uh, like ramen noodles and like peanut butter and jelly, really cheap stuff. And I said, no, it's going to be fine. Well, two and a half weeks into the month, I was out of all my healthy food because, you know, fruits and vegetables, they cost a lot more. And I, I soon realized that the amount of money that I had in my mission was not enough to be able to eat a healthy diet for an entire month. And I had to mooch money. I had to mooch food off of my fellow missionaries for the last one and a half weeks. And that's when I started shopping like they did, which was what food that was not at all nutritious and was um, really, I don't know, just like starch. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I also, you know, there's a lot of anecdotes. I, I, in my opinion, I didn't also get the proper medical treatment during my mission mm -hmm. as well. I had a number of, I would say, minor medical issues, and I don't think that I was treated properly for those medical issues. So I just, this article for me with a missionary who was killed in the South Pacific, and then another missionary who said that she didn't have enough money for food and that her medical issues were not taken seriously, mm -hmm. I'm that just hits really close to home for me because that is the exact same experience that I went through as a missionary myself. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think that the whole missionary program needs to uh, step it up and do a lot better because these kids are not only volunteering, but uh, she pointed out that her, her uh, family was paying $450 a month for her to go and do this service mission. Uh, yeah. it, it wasn't a service mission. It was a proselyting mission, but right. uh, yeah. It was an act of service on her part. Certainly was. And just one other note, I had a missionary companion who had serious medical issues during his um, during, during during our service. He ended up going home and serving as a service missionary. He ended up dying as a result of those complications. Oh, it wow. seems like we're sending people out into the field who may be suffering from serious medical issues. When they have the serious medical issues, they're not taken seriously. It's a very dangerous endeavor. And obviously, you know, getting hit by a car, that's probably not a preventable situation. You know, I don't know the circumstances, but uh, unfortunately, a lot of car accidents, it's unavoidable, but the rest yeah. of these issues are completely avoidable. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I just, this is just a really, really sad, uh, sad situation. Any last thoughts on this? Uh, no, but um, uh, I do wish uh, Keely, uh, it sounds like she had a full recovery and uh, wish her a happy life going forward. Yeah, I definitely do as well. And uh, some other uh, topics that have hit the news here is uh, far-right activist Ammon Bundy loses Idaho hospital defamation case and must pay millions. This is one of the most prominent Mormons around here, Al. This yep. was uh, released on AP News on 27 uh, uh, July uh, 2023. What's going on with Ammon Bundy? Okay, so Ammon Bundy, um, he he's the guy that took over the uh, National Park uh, uh, Ranger Station up in Washington a couple years back. I believe it's Oregon. Oh, Oregon. That's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, somewhere in the Northwest. <laughs> um, and there was a big standoff. He's the son of Clive Bundy, who, oh my goodness, it seems like it's been about 10 years now since Clive and Bundy was, uh, you know, did a standoff on his ranch because he owed millions in permits and fines for uh, allowing his cattle to graze on uh, national uh, land or public land. And uh, yeah, he refused to pay it. So uh, they, that's how the whole Bundy name became big news. Uh, Ammon Bundy's just kind of writing that, and uh, he tried to pull off another one. He, he's uh, been running for governor. Uh, he lost in the last election um, of the state of Idaho. And uh, I guess most recently he went uh, with a, an associate of his who had a baby that was um, – yeah, the okay, so they took the baby to the hospital. The baby – had like sunken eyes and was really emaciated and they're like uh you're starving your kid so child protective services of course got involved and right. said um you know we need to make sure that this kid gets the care that they need so the you know hospital took charge of the the baby um and his uh, associate went to ammon bundy and said look this is a situation they won't let me have my kid and ammon's like oh they've kidnapped your kid 
and uh, made a big deal out of it. Said, well, th there's nothing wrong with the kid. Um, I guess, uh, you know, Dr. Ammon um, diagnosed the kid with having uh, some sort of disorder that uh, just caused him to throw up anything that he ate other than his mother's breast milk. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not even sure if he saw the kid before he diagnosed him like that. But furthermore, Ammon Bundy is not a doctor. Uh, and he did a big standoff at the, um, at, uh, let's see, St. Uh, St. Luke's. St. Luke's, that's the one. Yeah, St. Luke's Hospital. And so St. Luke's Hospital sued him because of uh, how much how much disruption there was. Now, because Ammon Bundy likes to uh, um, get with these standoffs, a lot of times what they enforce these standoffs with is firearms. So yeah. a lot of his followers that were there with him had weapons yeah. and uh, helicopters, life flight helicopters, people driving to the emergency room, ambulances, were having to turn away and find another hospital because they just didn't want to get shot, even by accident. Okay. Right. I mean, yeah. So he told his his, his followers to protest at the hospital, which yeah. shut the hospital down for quite some time, and also to go to the hospital workers' private residences. This shut the hospital down, I yeah. think, for a couple of days. That's why mm -hmm. the hospital took him to court, sued him for $50 million. Now he's on the hook for it. Yeah, and the reason why? He didn't bother to show up to court in his defense. Yeah, that's that he, re he just so released that YouTube video that I just showed to you. That's exactly. the only thing that he did. So if you don't show up to court in your defense, uh, and, you know, sorry, but the court of public opinion doesn't count. YouTube doesn't count. You have to go to the judge and def and defend your case. If you don't, it defaults to the to uh, the side of whoever decided to show up, which was the hospital's lawyers, and therefore Ammon Bundy's on the hook for millions of dollars. Yeah, fifty million dollars. So yeah. another example, I guess, of Mormons behaving badly. Yep. You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't really cover this, honestly, Al, that much if you would get something like this out of the church news. You know, um, mm -hmm. that's that's it for, for me. If I could read to the church news and mm -hmm. get all of these articles here about missionaries who who passed away, who had medical issues about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, these different things. Uh, Lori Daybell, uh, there would be no mm -hmm. need for this program, but we're not going to get the complete picture of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints mm -hmm. by reading just KSL Deseret News and the church news. Right. For sure. Yeah. Now, for our listeners out there, would you drop us a like, drop us a subscription, drop us a thumbs up? We'd be very grateful for that. Now, this next article, Al, this is a big article here. The church mm -hmm. is suing. The church, it seems like every single week is suing someone. You know, we covered last week that the church is suing over the Cody, Wyoming Temple. Mm -hmm. And the church is also threatening to sue in um, Heber, the, the Wasatch County, as well, to get the temple through there. But that's not the only lawsuit. The church has been involved with a number of lawsuits. The church filed an amicus brief with the um that went to the supreme court a little while ago about the uh, couple in colorado uh, or about the individual in colorado who refused to make the gay uh, a gay website for a couple for their wedding the church filed an amicus brief on that the church is always it seems like is always in litigation and this one really surprised me al the title of this is from fox 13 news uh, fox13now.com lds church sues insurance providers over sex abuse settlement costs so this was posted by ben winslow on july 27 2023 um al who is the church suing this time and why okay so the lds church got um sued by uh, a victim of sex abuse um someone who had a member of the church uh in a leadership position in this case i believe it was a bishop that uh, abused them in West Virginia. The insurance company is based out of Pennsylvania. The LDS Church, of course, is based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. So um, what this is, is the church lost the settlement, or yeah, lost the settlement in West Virginia. Right. The, their insurance company out of Pennsylvania um, had, uh, the way that settle, or settlement insurance goes is, they say, well, you know, basically, if you pay your deductible, then we'll cover anything above that, right? Okay. But just like any insurance company, they don't want to pay any more than they have to, right? So they're going to look at this and say, well, um, this doesn't, you didn't really meet all the criteria to qualify for a deductible. You're going to be on the hook for 100% of it. 
So right. that's where we're getting into <laughs> what the settlements, what, what this uh, lawsuit's about is the LDS church. Um, there's a lot of legalese. You can read the, um, the, uh, oh, let's see, the, the, the lawsuit uh, paperwork on this article. Um, but the legalese essentially breaks it down to that the, the church is saying this, the insurance company is saying that, and they want the court to make the decision does the insurance company have to come up with the amount above that deductible amount or does the church have to pay 100% of the settlement cost? Yeah. I mean, the church already settled the litigation. They said, okay, we're going to settle this. And this is what, I guess I'm just very ignorant in this, Al, because I thought that all of these sexual abuse cases that the church settles, there's probably hundreds or even thousands of them that were not made aware of whatsoever because the church, when they settled them, they, most likely they give the victims a non-disclosure agreement that says that if you go to the media or if you make a big deal out of this, then you won't, then we'll, you'll be on the hook for your settlement amount. So we're not told of the dozens, hundreds, or even thousands of cases. The only reason we're told of this West Virginia case is because it's gone to litigation here. And this is the ignorant part for me. I had no idea. I thought every time that the church is settling one of these sex abuse cases and they happen every single week, that the church was reaching into its own coffers and paying the settlement out of either uh, the treasury account of Enzyme Peak or out of tithing or donations or out of its commercial ventures. No, the church is not paying these, settle these sex abuse cases. The church's insurers are paying the settlement cases. And that was a real shock to me. Yeah, um, it's something that you don't really realize until you get into a situation um, either yourself where, say, like a doctor has to get into malpractice insurance. Um, this is a similar situation, like a malpractice for a church. Um, and the insurance has said, uh, no, you guys uh, did the wrong doing. You got to be responsible for it. And uh, so this would be like a doctor getting sued. And his malpractice insurance saying, we're not going to cover it. You uh, botched the surgery. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this, the, and uh, this is the first time that I've heard what the church's insurers are. I mean, maybe yeah. other people are aware of that, but I'm not. The, the church has National Union Insurance and also ACE Property and Casualty Company, which um, they use to cover the financial settlements at this particular time. Maybe they're not using them now. I don't know, but during this particular time frame, those are the insurers that they um, that they that they were using, mm -hmm. and the insurers have rebuffed the church's claim that the church went to the insurers said, "Please pay these uh, these settlements," and they said, "No, you haven't met the threshold to qualify for the coverage. The threshold is like you said, Al. Basically, you haven't reached your deductible limit." It's insane to me, honestly, to think about child sex abuse insurance and then having a deductible like, oh, we have a $10 million deductible that we know we're just going to pay off for sex abuse claims. That's just crazy for me to even contemplate. I wonder it, what it, the number is. It's pretty surreal, isn't it? I mean, what is the what is that deductible number? Is it $50 million a year? Is it $100 million a year? How much does someone at the church headquarters sit down with their tables and say, okay, this is how much we paid out the last year, the year before. This is how much sex abuse claims that we're going to just, you know, put out there for our deductible. You know, it's just, it's mm -hmm. incredible to me to think about that. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, they didn't disclose the number, but I would guess it's uh, more than I make. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, the exact uh, financial amount in dispute is unknown and there's going to be a federal, uh, federal judge has scheduled a hearing next month to consider whether to grant the uh, insurance company's request to dismiss the church's lawsuit. So once again, then when the church, the church is, um, you know, is suing, oh, there's so many lawsuits. It's almost hard. It's, this is harder to keep track of than Donald, than Donald Trump indictments. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, that there's a lot going on there, but that's not really uh, Mormon related. Otherwise we would never, uh, we, we'd have to, uh, just do a perpetual show. <laughs> yeah. Now, for our listeners out there, would you were on Instagram? Would you leave us a comment? Let us know your thoughts on um, the church suing its own insurers um, for to, to get these sexual abuse claims. Is that totally normal? Is that um, good business practice? Um, am I am I just very ignorant in this insurance uh, sex abuse insurance? Uh, that very well may be the case. Let us know your thoughts by coming over to YouTube. 
And we release all of these episodes live Sunday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube. You can interact with us with the live chat at that time. Now, our next article here, Al, this is uh, from the Religion News Service here, and this is brought to us mm-hmm. by um, Jana Reese and Flunking Sainthood. It's mm-hmm. a very interesting article on Irish Mormons. And they're facing a dwindling, they have, they're facing dwindling numbers, but their community is becoming more inspirational now of course in ireland you know most of ireland is catholic and uh you know i just thought that it was very interesting here some of the numbers that they uh went over here because this is the most important figures here these numbers that talk about the church's uh, growth in ireland this is and the church's health in ireland these are very very important here let me read these to you get your reaction if you look at the church's official statistics in ireland Membership, uh, Mormon membership grew in Ireland, um, looks very healthy over the last decade. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's been a 32% increase in the last decade in Ireland. Seems like that's everything's yeah. going pretty well. Um, the article says, yeah, <laughs> on the other hand, no new congregations have been created in Ireland over mm-hmm. that period. Yeah. So what is that telling us when you say that your growth is 32%, which is very tremendous growth, especially in our secular, you know, the decline of religion over time, everybody's mm-hmm. doing really poorly with regards to religion. It's growing 32%, but you did not grow one congregation in the entire Emerald Isle. What does that tell you, Al? I'm guessing that the church probably got a little build happy with their um, chapels back in, say, pre-2000, and then as they uh, bumped up from 3,013 members to 3,980 members, so, you know, 900 plus members, they just allowed those people to fill in the empty pews um, that they had. Uh, it, but is that reasonable? No, it's not. Uh, that That's just the best uh, justification I can give for it, because really, um, it... it it's a lot uh, smaller numbers than that much. I mean, yeah, there have been that many members uh, put on the records, but uh, what we're finding in this article is that the church severely overinflates um, the numbers that it has on its rolls. I mean, that is a lot of empty, you said fill the empty pews. That's a lot of empty pews. That's an entire mm-hmm. stake. That's like 10 congregations mm-hmm. of empty pews where people are still not filling it up here. And I just want to show one more um, item from this. What's more, this is from the article, what's more, according to recently released 2022 census in Ireland, mm-hmm. only 1,100 people in Ireland said that they were Mormons. That's a figure that includes both adults and children. So the church, this is important here, the church is reporting about 4,000 members in 2022, mm-hmm. yeah. but only 1,000 of them actually identify in the census as LDS. That means that 72% of those that the church claims as members do not declare themselves as such. And of course, as you know, just declaring that you're LDS doesn't even mean that you go to church whatsoever. You can be, you know, affiliate yourself as LDS and, and never have attended for quite some time and only be barely, you know, mentally part of the religion. We're mm-hmm. talking about people who actually attend the pews we're talking about in the teens here, teens. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is really sad uh, to see how overinflated they. Uh, the the lady who did the study, not the not Jana Reese, but the lady mm-hmm. who did the study, um, she actually looked at uh, a ward of seventy people and a branch of thirty, and um, she started looking at the numbers and uh, seeing how. Uh, how all this was going together because what she initially looked into was well um it seems like if you're irish you're catholic and the the reason being because the republic of ireland when they seceded from england uh england is protestant so they said we're going to be catholic because we don't want anything of our colonizers right pretty typical uh but um what she was finding is a lot of the um non-catholic uh religions in Ireland typically have uh, non-white members, uh, say like um, Islam or uh, Hindu. Right. Yeah. Uh, especially in London. Islam is big in England, yeah. especially in London. Yeah, it is for sure. And, you know, it, it, it those are kind of the, the big ones in Ireland as well, you know, just correspondingly. But um, what she wanted to find is what are the white people who aren't Catholic doing with their religion. And this was, uh, so she said, well, there's kind of a, an empty space here where nobody's really covered this. And that's why she put her research towards 
uh, what the LDS are doing because the LDS is a fairly white religion. Um, it's an American religion, and so uh, due to a lot of the pa a lot of the racism and uh, problems that the church has had in the past with uh, racial inequality, uh, it just tends to attract white people more than it does people of color. So. Yeah, that's what she mentioned in the article. She says the biggest her my takeaway from her article is she says the biggest problem with church growth in Ireland, and you could probably extrapolate this to a number of other either European or mostly white countries, is that the, the Mormonism has a strong association with being United States focused. Yeah. And she says that she spoke to people, she was struck by, you know, how hard it is to take a United States focused religion and make it global because the church is still very inwardly focused on the united states i mean i'm not aware that the church files a lot of amicus briefs for instance in other countries outside of the united states they seem to be still very u.s focused and yeah. you know it's very the, the the history of the religion being she said whiteness is a part of mormonism and that makes it says that you know we're talking about a white american religion mostly white american religion and that has an extremely limited appeal to people who are not white, are not American. That's right. Um, I mean, Independence, Missouri is uh, kind of the, the whole uh, crux of it all. Um, Salt Lake City, Utah is the capital of it all. <laughs> so, yeah, um, she, she makes some good arguments that are backed up with a lot of research. Yeah. I mean, it's just you only have a thousand people in Ireland, only 15 percent. Uh, so you have a thousand. Just think about this, Al. You mm -hmm. have a thousand people in the entire country of Al, uh, Ireland who who are affiliate, who self-affiliate as Latter-day Saints. Yeah. But not all thousand go to church every single Sunday. Uh, maybe only, I don't know, let's just say 700, maybe 700 or even 500. Yeah. Only maybe half of the people who actually identify as Latter-day Saints actually go to church. Maybe half. What do you think the number is? Half? You know, that uh, would be generous, I think, because, I mean, statistically with the rest of the world, um, it seems like about um, half to probably between a quarter and a third yeah, probably. are, are yeah. active. Exactly. Yeah. So you have 3,000 Latter-day Saints in Ireland. Only maybe 300 of them are actually going to church. That's yeah. one. That's basically one congregation worth of Latter-day yeah. Saints in an entire country. Mm-hmm. That is just, that is astounding. That is just, I don't know. That's well, just, and how many uh, church buildings do they have in Ireland, I wonder? That's that. I, I don't know the answer. That. I think it was in the article. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have the information on that. I, uh, I yeah. wanted to say that there was like 20 congregations, but I don't have the answer to that. I'll have to... Uh, I'll have to get back to you on that, but that yeah. does bring us to our, our, another article. Speaking of church buildings mm -hmm. here, I'll have to I'll have to research that and get back to you. Yeah, it, somebody did an interesting visualization here on LDS church mm -hmm. buildings, and they did this using the LDS Meeting House locator tool. Mm -hmm. and this is really really cool here. So this is yeah. the number of buildings, including temples and including congregations, visualiz visualizing all of the Mormon uh, buildings that were mm -hmm. created. And this is aggregated data from the 1900, about 20,000 buildings listed in the LDS Meeting House locator. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's 20, remember, we have in the church, there's 30,000 uh, 30, total congregations in the church. But as mm -hmm. we know, some of them share buildings, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's with 30,000 congregations, I probably, what, what percent do you think actually share a building out of all congregations? What do you think, Al? It, it, it seems like you have uh, two to three congregations per building. So um, I'm guessing that you probably have at least 80% uh, sharing buildings. Well, Al, you're United States focused, my friend. You're in Utah. I am. Yes, I am. Okay, you're in Utah. <laughs> when, when, we're, when we're in Laos, when we're in okay. Singapore, when we're in Cambodia, yeah. where there's you have the entire, like, let's say you're in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, yeah. the capital city, mm -hmm. you're only going to have one congregation. That Those are going to yeah. be single-use chapels. So, yes, in sure. Utah, the percent... Is very high, 80%. But yeah. as you get out from the Mormon corridor, the number is far, far less. Yeah. You know, okay. Mm -hmm. So that's why this this number says with 30,000 congregations, there's actually 20,000 buildings. Okay. okay so, so it's almost one to one. Wow. 
Yeah, so only that, that, that tells you that only about 50% of the buildings are shared. Think about that. Mm -hmm. Remember, so 20,000 buildings, 50% yeah. of that would be 10,000. That'd be another 10,000 buildings. Mm -hmm. So according to this information, 50% of LDS meeting houses are actually shared with a different congregation, have multiple congregations, mm -hmm. only half. Yeah. Okay. Wow. It's a little lower than I thought, but yeah, that's again, uh, yeah. We're I'm very Utah. We're very we're both from Utah, so we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're, when you get out from Utah, it, there's a lot less sharing that goes on. Anyway, yeah. um, so this is the tool here that helps you visualize when these buildings were when when they were created, when they existed. So back in 19, um, it's interesting here, 1950. We're looking at mm -hmm. about uh, only about 50 total existing yeah. buildings that were created that year. Created, mm -hmm. not total. Yeah. They created that year. Yeah. And remember, in 1960, we had the big building spree that went on under President mm -hmm. McKay and yeah. his counselor. What was his name? Moral? Um, oh, yeah. Um, Joe, uh, I forget his name. I think it was Joseph Morrow. Anyway, they uh, about bankrupted the church because they built so many buildings. That's where that spike is. Yeah. Then, mm -hmm. then we had the incredible growth in the 1980s. And that's where mm -hmm. we saw like in 1983, like 700 buildings created in 2000, yeah. 600 buildings created. But what do we see the total? What What is your total takeaway from this graph here? Um, so, yeah, they really it follows a lot of the church growth, I think, because, I mean, when we look at what the church growth has been, um, it's it was it, it was kind of J curved up until the uh, the year 2000 and after the year 2000 is where it kind of apexed and then it started to decline the, as far as the growth goes. So um, I, I feel like this is on par with where the church um, uh, the people that identify themselves as LDS or the people that are attending church this this uh, follows that pretty closely. Yeah, it definitely does. And if you take into account, especially since two, 2020, mm -hmm. if you look again, we're back to only creating maybe 100 buildings, 2021, yeah. only like 30 buildings and, and 2022, 2021, 2022, yeah. no new building creation. Yeah. The only new buildings that are happening Al, are LDS temples. Virtually okay. all other temp, uh, virtually all other congregation level mm -hmm. buildings, that's wards and branches that has practically come to a complete halt. As we saw in Ireland, they mm -hmm. packed them all into one uh, in, into no new congregations. And mm -hmm. for the last couple of years in, uh, um, in the United States, I think the church only grew something like 50,000 members in the last couple of years in the United States. Mm -hmm. And they fit all of those once again into only one new stake. OK, yeah. so, I mean. We're not seeing. We're seeing every time that the church gains converts that they just pack them into existing buildings, and that the mm -hmm. uh, the 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 chapel level construction has almost completely come to a halt. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's. I, I find that to be very interesting. It really okay. is. Yeah. Now um, we have two last articles here to go through here, and uh, uh, I think they're all. Uh, we only cover the best. Hopefully, the most interesting articles here. This mm -hmm. is this is this really caught my attention. This really went uh, viral as well. Yeah. Daily Mail monstrous Mormon children's entertainer Paul McKee jailed for 30 years after he was extradited from Thailand to answer for a string of sexual offenses against young girls, some of whom were barely out of nappy. So Paul McKee of age 57 was convicted of 13 sexual offenses. And I, I looked at this and I said, why have I never heard of this guy before, Al? And apparently he is. A, um, I, I looked this up on a number of locations. He is apparently a Mormon, Al. Yeah, um, but according to this article, it just seems like um, they refer to him as a Mormon because of the alliteration with monstrous. Um, it doesn't mention uh, any significance behind his religious background at all. Uh, just the fact that he was a Mormon, you know, monstrous and Mormon. It, I mean, otherwise it was said maybe monstrous male uh, or monstrous McKee. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. They, they, they don't really tie much of significance to his, uh, to his, background in the LDS church, but they do tie a lot of his background with um, access to children. And that's something that's very uh, significant is that uh, this guy went around performing as a, as a musician for, uh, you know, kids parties and, and whatnot. Uh, and he would, uh, he, he had access to kids and he would abuse kids. And when you're in the LDS church, you have a lot of access to kids, um, especially as like a priesthood holder. Um, if you want to work in the primary, if you want to work with the youth, 
boy, they love people that want to work with the youth. So, you know, just uh, request for it, and sooner or later, it's going to come around. It, it, you know, the scouting program, et cetera. The yeah. LDS Church allowed a lot of access to um, to children for a lot of predators. Yeah. Now, if you Google him, Paul McKee here, almost every single one of these mentions a pedophile children's entertainer jailed for 30 years. Paul, Paul McKee, a Mormon, was mm -hmm. professionally known, a monstrous Mormon children's entertainer. Mm -hmm. uh, almost all of them make sure, Al, to mention McKee, a Mormon, was yeah. said to be from a religious mm -hmm. family with strong links to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. You know, do you find any anything interesting about the fact that every time a Mormon is in the news for child sex abuse, that they are sure to point that out? But if an atheist, they never seem to mention that. Am I imagining something, or what do you think? No, I, I don't know that uh, the atheists have ever run a big campaign saying, you know, I'm a, a children's entertainer and I'm an atheist. Um, but uh, boy, we we had a huge campaign pushing uh, the fact that oh well, you know I'm somebody that's an athlete, I'm somebody who's a musician, I'm someone who's a filmmaker, um, I'm someone who's uh, significant and important, um, and I'm a Mormon. Well, it seems like the the moment right now is I am a child molester and I'm a Mormon. Yeah, unfortunately, these are hitting every single week here. So yes, uh, they are. We we have seen the church, you know, recently in the United Kingdom implement background checks, um, which would have, uh, you know, which could have potentially helped in some of these cases. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's no silver bullet, but we need to see those background checks and additional safeguarding procedures in place worldwide to help be able to root out individuals, uh, child predators like this. Yeah, uh, this guy's going to jail for a long time. He's going to be 90 years old before he can get out, and hopefully. By then, he just uh, won't have anything left. Yeah. Uh, now, our last article here, Al. This is uh, our featured news article of the week. Here, this is uh, the church is in the uh, the church is in the news once again. The widow's might report is bringing us some interesting analysis here. The mm -hmm. DMBA, which is yeah. the what? What is the DMBA, Al? It's made De the, Deseret made the news Mutual. Here. Yep, De Deseret Mutual Benefit Administrators. This is mm -hmm. the church's in health insurance company. Right. Um, yeah. It, well, health insurance and I believe also retirement. Like yes. uh, the pension. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Health insurance and pension. So what this is, the Widow's Might Report is shining the light on here. And we're only going to do a, a very brief analysis on here. But the analysis of the Deseret uh, Mutual Benefit Association, an analysis of its holdings seems to um, – bring up some very troubling questions. It says raise questions about another one of the church's investment entities, and that's DMBA. And uh, the, the, the DMBA has a, a number of participating employees, meaning um, the church's commercial ventures, uh, the, the BYU, the Deseret News, uh, Deseret Trust Company, uh, Temple Square Hospitality, basically the Polynesian Cultural Center, the church's mm -hmm. farms, Basically, if you're a full-time church employee and you are part of, we're talking about 35,000 people here or an auxiliary, you have DMB as part of your benefits or your pension or your um, uh, benefits package, right? That's right. That's that's your health insurance. I mean, when I was uh, growing up, my father worked for the church and DMBA was our health insurance company. Yeah, and as I've mentioned on this program before, I worked either full-time or part-time for the church for almost 24 years, so I am also familiar with DMBA. Um, and we covered DMB, by the way. DMBA also made national news last year by finally allowing what, Al? Um, so they finally allowed um, for, was it birth control? Birth control. Yeah, it was. It was birth control. Yes. So I'm um, the hip on that one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Finally allowing women to have birth control yeah. in 2022, covering it under the church's insurance program. So, yes, DMBA has a very controversial history. Now, um, I just want to cover uh, a couple of other items on here. So DMBA, its valuation here. So the church's um, the church has Ensign Peak Advisors here, which is worth. I don't know, roughly 150 to 180 billion dollars. Most of that is in um, it's in a number of different places, from the uh, Dow Jones to private stock holdings to, you know, equity firms to foreign investments to some real estate to stocks and bonds and uh, bonds, you name it. But the church also has DMBA, and the total value of DMBA is about nine billion dollars here. Mm -hmm. So it's absolutely enormous, huge. Yeah. 
And that is, a, that is a good thing. We want the church's pension program to be fully funded. And so that when people like your father work for the church for their entire life, that their pensions will be secure and that they will um, be able to have a, a proper retirement. That's a great thing. I'm glad that the DMBA has as much money as it does. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's not, uh, I'm not poo-pooing on that whatsoever. Um, what's interesting on this, though, is that uh, the DMBA had its discretion over a couple of things um, separate from Enzyme Peak. And because the church was holding $9 billion or more, and because a lot of these funds were directly invested into the stock market, so the, the DMV investments, some of them were in government securities, some in corporate bonds, some in stocks, real estate, yeah. mutual funds, limited partnerships, trusts. We learned from when the church was fined by the SEC that if you have over $100 million invested into the U.S. stock market, that you need to do what, Al? That you have to declare all of that. Yeah. And this is uh, well over $100 million, and it was not declared as part of the SEC uh, uh, findings from last, uh, from last year. Right. Now, the, the church, according to the widow's might, um, it had it used outsourcing to third party fund managers to manage part of DMBA. So, I mean, the, they weren't man. DMBA wasn't managing the full nine billion dollar portfolio. They had a number of other um, people who were third party um, managers for it. But according to the widow's might report, it looks like there was um, at least a significant period of time in which a DMBA had over one hundred million dollars. It, that it was directly managing itself, and yet this is uh, the DMBA's 13F reported holdings. The DMBA did not file any of the required 13F uh, holdings prior to 2020, but the Widows Might Report analysis shows. See, this is the this is the money slide here. This is the DMBA's total account, uh, total portfolio account that they are directly managing, Ooh. and according to the Widows Might Report. In several instances back in 29 through 2011, mm -hmm. and also from 2014 through 2021, the DMBA was managing directly itself more than $100 million, which would have breached the threshold for requiring to submit 13F forms, and yet DMBA never did. Yeah, this, uh, this, hasn't, th this isn't the end of it for sure, because uh, <laughs> this, the SEC thing uh, was just the beginning. Uh, this should have been part of the SEC thing, but they didn't uh, lump it in. So this just goes to show that there was um, evidence of the church trying to hide even more money. Yeah, they're, they're, hide, yeah, they're hiding money in Enzyme Peak. It was a clandestine hedge fund. And then they're hiding money in DMBA. Um, they didn't do the filings on it. And I, I just wonder, why didn't the SEC come after the DMBA as well? Probably because this was not as an egregious um, situation, because according to the Widows Might Report, the church was, um, again, I'm going to bring this slide back up here. The church was managing somewhere around $100 million. Now, it went over a couple of times. Sometimes it was over. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was under. But we were, I guess the church was in the ballpark of the $100 million range. Yeah. So that's not as egregious a violation as the church having $40, $50 billion in the Dow Jones from Enzyme mm -hmm. Peak. So it yeah. seems to me that the SEC didn't come after the church because this was such a which was a relatively smaller issue. Yeah. And that does bring up the next question for me. Al, how many more entities are we going to hear about where the church didn't follow the law, didn't follow the 13F disclosures, didn't do what it was supposed to do in order to hide funds from the government, from the members. How many more? And is this just going to be a weekly occurrence? This is going to be like sex abuse claims, um, you know, bishops and other people. Is this going to become a weekly occurrence? Oh, here's another time where the church had a, we had the Australian scandal that just happened a couple of weeks ago where the church has, has shut down a shelf company in Australia. LDS Charities Australia has basically shut down most of its operations. We have the SEC fine. Now we have DMBA. Every single one of the church's entities, it seems like, are coming under scrutiny from the government. And every time that the, the, the microscope, every time that the magnifying glass is shined at these companies, what do we find out? Uh, we find out that there's guilt, that there's a lot of shady stuff going on behind the, the scenes. And it's up being covered up. It's being hidden. And uh, what I find significant is that we never seem to um, uncover where the church is being extremely generous and, you know, 
taking care of orphans in Eastern Europe or, you know, feeding the hungry down in um, Afghanistan or anywhere. They're just, uh, th there doesn't seem to be all the charitable uh, things that we would like to see uncovered. But instead, there's a lot of this kind of shadiness. Yeah, I mean, we definitely do see the church engaged in some charitable um, and humanitarian good. There's no question about that. We covered um, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, LDS Charities Australia, when the Sydney Morning Herald reported on LDS Charities Australia's humanitarian giving. They said that the church was giving 0.3% of LDS Charities went to actual humanitarian purposes, 0.3%. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the members want to trot out, you know, the the World Food Bank donation, the UNICEF donation, the Red Cross donations. We're at 0.3 percent. And then when we see the other business uh, holdings and the other um, commercial ventures that the church is involved in, it seems like every time that we shine a spotlight on these things, what, what comes up is not good. And I just wonder, see, these these are the DMBA has to be publicly disclosed because it's over $100 million dollars. Well, the churches has the Deseret Management Corporation, which is the umbrella co corporation for the church. All of the church's commercial, um, all of its commercial ventures are rolled up under Deseret Management Corporation. When is the shoe going to drop for Deseret Management Corporation where we're going to get a whistleblower? And, uh, you know, mark my words, it's going mm -hmm. to happen. Some whistleblower is going to shine a light on Deseret Management Corporation. And we're going to find out probably something similar as what we've seen with LDS Charities Australia, with uh, Enzyme Peak, with DNBA. And with what we saw last year with the church's scandal in Israel with the capital gains taxes with, um, I forget the name of the firm that they were involved with, with, it, with Israel. It, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it off the mm -hmm. top of my head, but when, when, when is the last shoe going to drop? Um, I think that there needs to be a thorough audit. Um, you know, the FLDS had uh, a situation where uh, after Warren Jeffs was arrested to build their case, they got a warrant to search the temple down in Texas, and that's where they found all the uh, recordings and, and stuff that uh, really nailed him to the wall. Um, I think that that's what's going to be required to, in order to get all this uh, done, is they're going to have to do a thorough audit of everything that the LDS Church has. They're going to have to go through the temples. They're going to have to open up the vault down in Cottonwood Canyon. They're going to have to go through the uh, the president's uh, personal safe. Uh, they're going to have to bring it all out and go through all of it. The problem is, is that all of the private companies that the church holds, they don't have to report anything to anyone. They're all privately held, so there's no, there's not going to be any audit of anything unless we get another whistleblower. Because we know that the church's internal audits from the church's general uh, auditing department, they do absolutely nothing because when the church was fined by the SEC, they said that the uh, accounting department found nothing before the fine and they found nothing after the fine. So any internal church auditing is completely worthless and there's mm -hmm. no external organizations that are required to audit a number of these church uh, private companies. So. Yeah. We have to wait for a whistleblower to come forward, and um, but it's going to happen. It, it happened at Enzyme Peak. It, it happened, and it's going to happen again. It will for sure. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, I want to thank our patrons, uh, Sophronia, Colette, Mark S., Wendy, Mike L., and Eric for this uh, week's uh, for, for being our Patreon supporters. Um, we want to thank you so much for listening with us. And Al, can you take us out? Yeah, um, we'd like to give some special thanks out to Weird Alma. Uh, he's a He's a great guy, allowing us to use his uh, uh, his uh, music from Bandcamp.com for this episode and every episode's music. And thank you so much for ruminating with us on the great and spacious beehive. And also remember, remember, no unhallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing. So long. Hey there, brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to the Mormon News Roundup. And if you are enjoying this show, please consider making a donation. Patreon makes an important contribution to helping us ruminate on the great and spacious beehive here. So thanks so much to everyone for, for supporting us on Patreon.com.